and welcome to NISA Talks. I'm Jagjit Chadha, the Director of the National Institute of Economic and Social Research, and I have in the studio with me today um, Gary Young, a Director of Macroeconomic Modelling and Forecasting, and Arno Hatch, our Senior UK Economist. Today we're going to talk about the economy uh, after the election. This is a quick overview with the results coming out this morning only. I'm going to talk a little bit about growth, uh, prospects for wages, the impact of the exchange rate, what will actually happen when Brexit happens at the end of January? What does that mean for the MPC? And what can we expect in the budget? All in the next 10 or so minutes. So keep listening. Gary, um, earlier this week, um, we had new data from the ONS on the state of GDP growth. And you've done some analysis to um, take a view as to where the economy is currently travelling. Can you help us understand where we are right now in terms of economic growth in the UK? Well, it's not travelling very fast, I think, is the answer to that. It's travelling quite slowly. 2019 is ending with a whimper. So the ONS figures were for zero growth in the three months to October. And we think it's going to stay roughly like that at the end of the year, too. So, yeah, not much growth at all towards the end of 2019. And then um, everything to play for in 2020. So the phrase you used is it petering out. Mm. Um, petering out seems to suggest that there's no prospect for any great returning growth. Is it too early for us to be saying that, or should we be very concerned that in fact growth has in fact just come to a full stop? Well, I mean, this is um, this was happening in the run up to the election, mm. and there was a lot of uncertainty in the run up to the election. So mm. you know, we we put a lot of the weakness down to the fact that companies weren't investing at all. Mm. There wasn't any dynamism in the economy. Mm. Now, of course, it could possibly change after the election, you know, with such a um, big majority for the, for the government, um, which we'll come on and talk about in a minute, I think. Yes, okay. So we're going to have to monitor this carefully just to see where we get to. Absolutely. I mean, it, that, that's where we are now. Yes. I mean, where we will be in a year's time is uh, you know, something we can discuss. Yes, we'll get discuss later. So moving to next week, Arno, if I might, that we're going to get some more information on wages. Clearly, one of the surprises after the referendum result was that employment remained so strong. We've got very high levels of employment in the country, and yet, certainly up to relatively recently, that hasn't led to a lot of real wage growth. Can you tell me what the prospects are for wages next week and how we would interpret that? So our short-term forecast for uh, average weekly earnings for wage growth mm. is um, for growth to be around 3.5%. Mm. That is relatively robust compared to the last three years, mm. but it masks the fact that um, we've seen slightly stronger public sector wage growth, mm. which offsets uh, an emerging weakening in private sector wage growth. Mm. So overall, wage growth remains relatively robust, but relies to an ex uh, increasing extent on wage dynamics in the public sector wage dynamics in the public sector, then on the other hand, will uh, depend on decisions taken by the new government uh, going forward. So you've done some work that says that wage growth in the public and private sectors in the very long run tend to move together. So I understand what you're saying is that the public sector wage growth starts to take off and that, that supports private sector wage growth. Is that one way of thinking about it? Exactly. And uh, on the other end, you can also mm. look at uh, differences between public sector wages and where they should be from a mm. long-term perspective ah. and we think that uh, still public sector wages are some three percent below where they would be uh, or where they mm. would probably move to in in the longer run so there's scope for public sector wages to increase so, so there may be some momentum for them to grow even faster to catch up 
in, in a sense. Right. Can you help us understand this point about the extensive wage growth in real terms rather than nominal? So once you take away the overall increase in overall goods and prices, what are wages actually? Are they increasing in real terms or not? So are those people in work feeling better off as a result of their increased wage packet? After a couple of years of negative real wage growth, mm. after the um, EU referendum, mm. we've now seen way, real wage growth positive, around 1.5%, uh, given that inflation is around 2% per mm. year. Now, that is modest relative mm. to the past few years, decades. But given that underlying growth dynamics in the economy are very weak, productivity growth is less than one and a half percent. Wage growth, real wage growth, is sitting on top of that. It's, it's higher than that. So and that, that looks like it, it can't be sustained for a long period of time unless underlying growth dynamics pick up. So just to understand, and, and uh, we've got a view that, that real wages, so the spending power of those in work, tends to rise with productivity. And yet, in the most recent period, it looks as though real wages have, have increased more rapidly than productivity. Now, historically, that would tend to lead to inflation. Uh, if, if, so is, that, is there a prospect for inflation because wages are rising so quickly? Exactly, exactly. So mm. usually we would sort of like, uh, expect a pass-through into higher mm. inflation, into higher consumer prices. But we don't see that at the moment. We see inflation relatively stable at or below 2%. So firms seem not to pass on mm. higher wage growth into, into consumer prices. So Gary, what does that do to firms in the sense that they're not passing through that increase in their costs? Is that something they can bear forever or will they try to adjust at some point in the future? Does, does it matter if firms don't pass this on? Yeah, it would do. I mean, it, it, they're sort of absorbing it within their own margins at the moment. Although, on the other hand, there is some sort of weakness in import prices as well. I see. And um, the exchange rate, you know, since um, no deal was ruled out, has, te mm. has tended to be trading a bit higher than it was mm -hmm. you know, in the middle of the year when everyone was concerned about no deal. Mm. And, that, and so that higher exchange rate is taking some of the pressure off prices. I see. Yeah, because obviously um, we, we import quite a lot of goods and services. Mm. And so and we import quite a lot of stuff to be used in production, so that sort of um, takes the pressure off. So, so the overall cost base is a combination of labour costs and, and imported ab goods? Absolutely, and, and, it, and, and taken together. It, it, it yeah, may not be so damaging for inflation not price damaging. And, and there's only really, um, these, we're only talking about slight differences oh, here, really. Um, okay. Yeah, 2% versus 1.5%, they're not big differences. That, that's very helpful. Tell me, what's happened to the exchange rate today? Uh, we've had this... Yeah election results. Um, it's been a strong victory uh, for the Conservative Party and the exchange rate seems to have moved up by quite a lot. Is that right? I would describe it as sort of like a modestly optimistic uh, response on foreign exchange markets. The uh, exchange rate, the uh, dollar exchange rate uh, moved up by 2%, the euro exchange rate by 3%. Mm. It is a bit of a jump but not much. Mm. It reflects the fact that uh, uncertainty has now to some extent lifted. We now have a majority government, no longer a hung parliament. Mm -hmm. So in the short term, the um, future path the country seems to take has become uh, a little clearer. Mm -hmm. um, it now seems likely that uh, the country will formally withdraw from the European Union mm -hmm. at the end of January. Yes. The withdrawal agreement will go through. Mm -hmm. However, the fact that there wasn't a larger exchange rate response, for example, also reflects that uh, uncertainty 
is not going to go away for quite some time. The uncertainty around the ultimate trading relationship between the UK and the European Union. So while we know now what the path will be for the next few mm. months, we still don't know in detail what the path for the next uh, several years will be. I, see. I think you wrote about this in the November review. I mean, if I interpret your comments, you're saying, look, this result to some extent alleviates some political uncertainty. We've gone from a hung parliament and not knowing who the government's going to be to knowing what the government is going to be and also knowing that we will go through that, that Brexit door, in a sense, at the end of January. But the underlying economic uncertainty, which is all about the form of trading relationship we'll have with the rest of the world and the European Union, remains for a long time to come. And, and your work, Gary, suggests that this kind of economic uncertainty has, has damaged business investment, meaning it's lower than it would otherwise be. And so do you see any scope for a, a large recovery once we've gone through that Brexit exit, exit door at the end of January? Well, there, there is scope for it, but I don't really see it happening at the moment because, you know, as Arno says, the sort of fundamental trading uncertainty isn't really going to be going away. You know, there's mm. still the prospect, or not the prospect, the possibility of a no-deal exit towards the end of 2020. And so given that, you know, I, don't, I can't see... Um, businesses who trade a lot with the European Union um, invest in a lot ne next year. But um, you know, we are in this situation where investment has been a lot weaker than you would have expected to be. And if, if I move away from no deal just for a minute, and I agree with you that it's not off the table, mm. but even if, if it were somewhere off the table, then th this residual economic uncertainty because of the nature of the trading relationships that we will have with our main trading partners in the rest of the world. Is that the way you would interpret it as well? That's not disappeared just because we've gone through the Brexit exit door? No, that, that, there's, there's obviously a lot of trading, there's a lot of uncertainty mm. in the global economy at the moment, mm. which is still fragile. Mm. There's a lot of uncertainty about what our relationship will be with other countries. Mm. And all these things are sort of hindering investment, I think, and also hindering productivity, which we came onto a bit briefly earlier. Mm. You know, this is really the fundamental problem that the economy is facing really, is weak productivity growth. Mm. You know, we're still a long way below where we ought to be, you know, a, a long way below the pre-financial crisis mm. trend, and that's the thing which is accounting for the fact that real wages are still, you know, although they have been growing a little bit recently, are still a long way off where they ought to be. Mm. So if we add that up into a picture of continuing sluggish growth, or mm. what we've often called a slow puncture in, in, in mm. the economy. Um, where does that leave, let's go directly to the next policy decision on a horizon, and that's for the mm. Monetary Policy Committee uh, next week, but also mm. in, in January and, and in the early part of next year. Mm. We previously thought there was a case for a, a, a small cut in rates. Is that still the case? And why is that, given that most of the things we've been talking about are about the supply side of the economy? Yeah, I mean, that, that's true. I, I think the, the, the case is, is that... Um, Price inflation is quite low. So the most recent figures are one and a half percent, and it and it could go even lower in the early part of next year. So the MPC you know, has its target of two percent inflation, and we're a bit below that. But I think um, there's a reasonable prospect that we're going to go back up. You know, there, there are temporary factors mm. at the moment, sort of partly driving down that. But on the other hand, there isn't really a lot of upward pressure on inflation at the moment. So. As Arno mentioned earlier, private sector labour demand seems to be weakening a bit. Uh, so that may mean that the 
current relatively good pace of growth in wages won't, won't last. Yes. Um, as we discussed, the pound is a bit stronger today, mm. and uh, certainly a bit stronger than it was in the middle of the year. That's also taken some pressure off prices. Um, prices abroad are not growing strongly at all. Mm. The, the, the worries in the euro area are that inflation is persistently below its target. Um, similarly, in the US, it's difficult to get, you know, the, the Fed has, has, has stopped raising rates. So, you know, there isn't really a lot of inflation around in the world, and it, and it may be that even though interest rates, short-term interest rates, are only 75.75%, uh, mm. that may still be relatively high relative to, mm. you know, sort of a, a neutral rate. A neutral rate. So there is, you know, protect, there is scope to cut, and at the last FPC meeting, mm. two members um, voted for a cut, and, um, you know, with the election out of the way, you know, they, they you know, there may be more. Yeah. More, more back, more back in for for a cut so at, at the meeting next week. Well, I don't, I, I wouldn't expect a, a cut to come this this week. I think it would like to come in February, if anything. February, I see. And, and given that interest rates are low by historical standards at seventy five basis points, and that Gary's hinting at not only limited inflationary pressure, but that also resulting from from a number of points around the world where demand looks weak relative to where we might anticipate it. So can we look to fiscal policy in the budget by the Chancellor to be more expansionary? Should we? And how does that stack up with the fiscal rules that we have on that? That's right. So one scenario where one might see inflation going up is one where the government would increase uh, government spending quite significantly. Mm. Now, the uh, Conservative manifesto was um, relatively limited in uh, terms of uh, additional spending promises in particular when it comes to current spending. And part of that uh, is uh, a new set of uh, self-imposed fiscal rules mm. that constrain, will constrain fiscal policy going forward. Mm. So uh, it doesn't look like there is going to be much of a boost to the economy and to, to price dynamics mm. coming from the uh, government side. So the government's going to hold, hold back despite promises of expenditure in the health service uh, and also in parts of the northern parts of the country in infrastructure. You don't think we're going to see that in the budget that's coming? Some of it is sort of like filling gaps that mm. uh, were left by previous administrations. Mm. Mm. Um, so again, that doesn't look like it would uh, add to inflationary pressure and, uh, and growth prospects very much. Um, but there is not much beyond that. Um, so there is uh, not much of a fiscal response that we anticipate to come through. If I, if I could just jump in there, Please I, do, I, I, think, I don't think there's much scope for any tax cuts mm. in the near term. I mean, um, mm. you know, I mean, I think the, the self-imposed fiscal rules are sort of, you know, we don't see there's any, any current space against them, mm. so I can't see any room really for tax cuts. I think more likely over the course of the next mm. five years, is that there might have to be some tax increases yes. because um, there's a lot of work to do on the public services to bring them up to the level that people expect. Well, I think many of these points came out in our election briefings. Your analysis, mm. Arno and Gary, suggested that it seems most likely over this parliament that the composition of output will move towards the public sector mm. relative to the private sector. And of course, ultimately, that's going to have to mean an increase in taxes uh, despite what any politician may say, and I think that's something that came up very clearly in our analysis prior to the election. 
As everyone can hear, there's a lot of issues that we're thinking about, the exchange rate, the fiscal policy, the monetary policy that we might see, as well as this huge Brexit question, which will not go away just because we've gone through the exit door. The Institute, Gary and Arno, myself, will be thinking about these questions in January. The, at the end of January, we will publish our next review, which will be an overview of the UK economy and the global economy. So we'll look forward to talking about that. And do read it when it comes out in February. And from me, Jagjit Chala, the director of the National Institute of Economic Social Research, thank you for listening.